The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. We're in a series called Kingdom Manifesto where we've been looking at this incredible teaching Jesus did called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in week six of this series. We got 10 weeks, so we got four more weeks of this series. But it's been so good. How many of you enjoyed this series so far? It's been so good. And today we're going to talk about a subject that was very near and dear to the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. In fact, this is the only subject that we see in two different places in the Sermon on the Mount. And that is the subject of prayer. We're going to talk about prayer. Somebody say prayer. prayer. We're going to talk about the importance of persistent prayer. Now, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's two places where Jesus talks about prayer. One is in Matthew chapter 6. And this is where he, his disciples come to him. They ask him in a different place in Scripture. They ask him to teach them how to pray. In Luke 10, I believe it is. And he says, pray like this. And he teaches them what's called the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm not going to spend any time talking about that today. And the reason why is because less than a year ago, my wife Sarah in our Teach Us to Pray series did an incredible job walking us through the Lord's Prayer. And so my encouragement to you is to go back and listen to that message. Even if you were here when she taught it, go back get a refresher on it. It was so powerful, so good. She did such an incredible job unpacking what each aspect of the Lord's Prayer was all about. So make sure you check that out. I believe we're highlighting it in our new song app and we'll share it this week so that you can, you can check that out again. But today I want to look at Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus taught specifically on the importance of persistence in prayer. Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 7. Jesus says this. He says, ask. Somebody say, ask. ask. Say it like you mean it. Ask. ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. Somebody say, seek. Seek, seek and you will find. Knock. Somebody say, knock. knock. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 8. For everyone. Someone say, everyone. everyone. Look at the person beside you and say, you're an everyone. You're an everyone. Every one of you is an everyone. All right? Everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Let's pray and then let's talk about prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this incredible gift that we have been given to be able to have audience with the creator of the universe. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to pray. And Lord, right now, in light of what we have seen take place this week, the darkness that we've seen in this week, Lord, prayer is more important than ever before. And so we thank you today that we would walk away from this, this service, not having just heard some neat songs and heard a good talk, but having had an encounter with Jesus. That, Lord, you would speak to every person in this room today so that we can see how we can be people of prayer, so that we can fight back the darkness of this world and be used to build your kingdom in this earth. And Lord, right now, we just take a moment. In fact, church, would you help me? Let's pray for those who lost their children this week. Lord, I can't imagine what these people are going through. And Lord, you, you are near to the brokenhearted. And so right now we ask you to be near to those who lost their children, to those who are heartbroken, who are hurting. Lord, I pray that your love would just manifest itself in their lives in a tangible way. 
God, you are a very present help in the time of trouble. In these people's time of trouble, Lord, I pray that you would be present. Your love would be present. Your grace would be present. Your hope would be present in this time, Lord God. So Lord, we ask you to be with us today as we look at your word. Help us to walk away different than how we came in today. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Prayer is something that God has really been stirring in, in us over the past several months, going back to last year and especially these last few months, uh, God's just really been stirring in us a, 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 a heart to want to be a praying church. I want to be a, a man of prayer. I hope that you, to, my, my hope today is that you would be stirred to be a person of prayer because prayer is so important. You know, we, we look at what took place this week and we look at the world around us and man, it's just a mess, Right? And there's so much darkness in this world. And this is how God kind of put it to me this week. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. And a praying church is a church at its best. I'm going to say it again. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. And a praying church is a church at its best. You know, the world that we we find ourselves living in, all the darkness, all this stuff that's taking place around us, this is not going to get solved, Christians, just because we want it to. This isn't going to get fixed because we vote in, you know, this, this legislation or we vote in this person or we vote down this issue or we come up with some kind of man-made strategy or scheme to try to fix this. No, no. If we're going to make an impact in this world, it's going to happen because we prayed impact into this world. God has called us to make a difference and he's given us this incredible gift of prayer to be able to bring difference into this world. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. It says, if my people, how many of you are a people of God, right? If my people who are called by my name, that means you made Jesus the Lord of your life. You are born into the family of God. You've been, your name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. You've been called by his name. If they will humble themselves, notice that, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Notice, not seeking his hand. We're not seeking a handout. We're not just seeking God blessing and God putting his stamp of approval on our thing. We're seeking God's thing. We're seeking in intimacy with him, relationship with him, closeness with him. Seek his face. Turn from our wicked ways. Turn away from the ways of this world. Quit trying to live at the standard of this world. Practice the ways of this world and yet have God with us. No, no. We got to practice the ways of Jesus and lay down the stuff of this world. Then he says this, I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. How many of you know we need some healing to take place in our land, in our country, in our state, in our city, in our schools, in the world? And if this is going to take place, it's going to take place because we are people of prayer. And so I want us to be a praying church. And when I talk about being a praying church, I'm not saying like we got a prayer team, you know, we got a few people, select special people in the church that they are the people who pray. No, no, no. Listen, we're the church. Look at the person beside you and say, you're the church. So a, a praying church isn't just a few people. A praying church is a praying church because the people that make up that church are praying people. So you have a part to play in this. God has called you to be a prayer warrior, for you to be a person of prayer and a person who will persist in prayer, a person who will ask and keep asking, a person who will knock and keep knocking, a person who will seek and keep seeking in prayer to bring about the revival that God wants to bring into the world. We're believing God for revival and we're going to hold on until we get it. 
I love this quote from this guy, Dr. R.A. Torrey. He says, there is not a church, chapel, or mission on earth where you cannot have a revival provided there is a nucleus of faithful people who will hold on until, until it comes. That's what we're going to be. That's who I want to be. I want to be a person who's holding on in faith, holding on in prayer, who will keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking, going after that revival. And I believe, listen, revival's going to come. It's either going to come because we pray it into existence or it's going to come because Jesus comes back. Either way, it's a revival, right? But we're going to seek after that. We're going to go after that. We're going to chase after that. And prayer is how we bring that about. Prayer is how we bring about change. Now, it's interesting. I, I read this week, this survey was done with Christians, right? Christians. 1,500 Christians were surveyed. And of those surveyed, nearly 90% said they read their Bible regularly, but only 31% said they set aside time each day to pray. So nine out of 10 are, are, are praying or are, are reading their Bible, but only three out of 10 are actually praying. Of that same group, 87% said that every Christian needs to spend time in prayer every day, but only 18% said that they do. So, like, there's a disconnect here. You, you seeing that? A disconnect between what we believe related to prayer. Like, 9 out of 10 are saying we should do it, but only, like, less than 20% are doing it. So, only less than 2 out of 10 are actually doing it. What's... What's the deal? What's the disconnect? Well, I believe there's a lot of reasons for this, but I think one of the major reasons why people don't pray is this word underestimation. We underestimate. We underestimate the power of prayer and we underestimate the scheme of the enemy against our prayers. The enemy wants to keep you prayerless because if he can keep you prayerless, he can keep you powerless. So he wants to keep you from being the person of prayer and we don't recognize how powerful prayer is. For a lot of people, the way we see prayer is kind of like, it's our last resort. Like, we've tried everything else. We've got a bad situation going on around us. We've tried everything else. Nothing else seems to be, work. it seems to be working. I guess I'll pray. Listen, that is not how God designed prayer to work in our life. Prayer is not supposed to, designed by God, is not supposed to be a last resort. It's supposed to be a first response. And, and if we're people who are practicing the way of Jesus, trying to live life like Jesus did, doing the kinds of things Jesus did, then we need to recognize how important prayer was to the life of Jesus. Prayer was not a last resort to Jesus. It was a first response. In fact, 29 times in the gospel, we see Jesus praying, getting away from everybody else to go and to spend time in prayer. And what we observe when you start to look at Jesus' life is you see that he would go away for these times of private prayer, and then from that, he would come out into public settings and he would move in power. So much so that his disciples recognize this. And that's why in Luke, they come to him and they say, hey, teach us to pray, right? Now, now realize these are his disciples. They've been with him everywhere he goes. They've been following him for three years. They've seen him do some crazy wild stuff. 
move in some powerful ways. At this point in Jesus' ministry, when they ask him to teach them to pray, Jesus has, has, has healed people, people who are paralyzed, people who are blind. He has walked on water. Like, that's pretty epic, walking on water. He's done that. He's, he's raised someone from the dead. He's, he's caused loaves and fishes to be multiplied and fed like thousands and thousands of people. You would think that they would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to multiply food. That sounds pretty awesome. Show us that. Jesus, teach us how to walk on water. Jesus, teach us. How do you do this? The Pharisees come to you and you always know exactly what to say to shut them up and run them off. Teach me that. I'd like to know that. But they don't ask that. They say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Why? Because they've observed the rhythm of the life of Jesus. And what they've observed is Jesus goes away and from private prayer, he moves in public power. And they get it. They figure it out. If we can learn to pray like Jesus, we can probably walk in the power of God like Jesus. And listen, I want you to understand what's true for the disciples is true for you. There is a power God wants us to be operating in in this world. We want to bring change and difference to this world. It's going to come because we're people of prayer, functioning and operating the way Jesus did. James 5.16 says this. It says, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful and effective. We want to be powerful and effective for the kingdom. We need to be people of prayer. So don't underestimate the power of prayer. Listen, when you pray, things change. When you pray, coincidences happen. When you pray, there are doors that open for you and for the kingdom. When you pray, there are doors that close. How many of you experienced the godly door closing in your life before? Good stuff. At the time, sometimes we're like, I don't want that door to close. But then it closes. And you're like, thank God it closed. But this takes place. Why? Because we're people of prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, going after, being persistent in prayer the way God's called us to be. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. And don't underestimate the strategy of the enemy against you. He wants to keep you prayerless. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about this armor that we're to put on, right? You guys remember this? He says we're to put on this armor. Why? Because we're in a battle. You're in a fight. I hope you know that. You're in a fight. We're in a battle. And you can't escape this unless you die or you go to heaven. So you're in it, and you can either win it by choosing to partner with God in it, or you can not choose to fight, and you're going to lose. But you're in this battle, and Paul says, hey, put on this armor. And he lists these six pieces of armor. Now, if you know anything about Bible, you know that their numbers are important in scripture. And the number six is a number that represents incompletion. So when we see six pieces of armor, we understand based on how God operates that that's not a perfect number. And if God's going to give us armor to put on, there's going to be seven pieces because seven is the number of completion. So we know that it's not over with just the first six pieces of armor that are listed. So there's something more. See, here's the thing. This armor that God has called us to put on, he hasn't called us to just put it on and stand around and wait for the enemy to come and attack us. Like we're not just putting this on so that when the, Satan finally does attack us, we can survive. No, no, we're called to put on the armor. Why? Because we, we got marching orders to go out to pick a fight, to do war, to war against the kingdom of darkness that's trying to take over in this world. So how do we fight this fight? Well, that's the seventh piece. Look at this, uh, Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayers and supplication. That means asking prayers, asking God to move, asking God, asking and keep on asking in the spirit, being watchful, keeping alert 
to this end with all perseverance. That means we're going to keep going. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep going after this. And supplication for all the saints. So how do we, we put on this armor, how do we take the fight to the enemy? We do it through prayer. Listen, you want to make a difference in this world, in this darkness that's going on? Be a person of prayer. You want to fight off there's this, this, diff, this realm that's operating, this stuff, this evil that we see in the world that's beyond just man-made evil. It's, it's principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world that are coming against and influencing this world from a different realm. You want to influence that realm for God? You do it through prayer. Somebody say amen. Amen. We're called to be people of prayer. So we got to take up this mantle and fight on the grounds where this fight's going down. We got to fight, pray, and keep praying. Praying for the saints, praying for the kingdom of God, and keep going after it. We've been given this incredible gift, this incredible authority to pray and to walk in victory, and the devil knows it. And so he's going to do everything he can to, to try to keep you from this. And one of the chief schemes of the enemy to keep you from a prayerless life, to keep you in a prayerless life, is busyness. I've heard it said before, if the devil can't make, can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Because, listen, a, a Christian who's busy is a bad Christian. Too busy to pray, too busy to read the word, too busy to be about the kingdom of God. You're too busy with your thing to be about God's thing. It's in the busyness of life that the prayerless life is born. We get so busy that we don't do what God's called us to do. We're not who God's calling us to be. Listen, on this side of, of eternity, it's important that you recognize how this world works and how the enemy's going to come against you. He's going to come against you, and there's going to be this, this urgent battle that's going on all the time between what is actually urgent and what is actually important. The devil will tell you this stuff is urgent, but what's really, what's really important? What's really making a difference? What's really impactful? What, what, what things demand your attention and what's really worth your attention? These are questions we need to ask ourselves, church. Because the devil wants to keep you from being, listen, the devil doesn't mind you going to heaven. He's okay with you going to heaven. He just doesn't want you influencing anyone else to go to heaven. And he doesn't want you far be it from you to bring about this kingdom of heaven stuff into this earth. If you just want to go to heaven, he'll, he, he's not going to leave you alone, but he ain't going to fight you real hard on that. But you start going after the kingdom, you better get ready. You're in a fight. And we fight this fight in prayer. So yeah, I get it. Life's busy. And it's because it's busy that you need to be a person of prayer. Life's too busy to not be praying. Amen. We get caught up in the busyness of life and we don't pray and we don't hear God. We miss out on the warnings of God. We miss out on the leading of God. We miss out on the direction of God. We're called to be a people of prayer. My, my, what I want you to see here is we can't underestimate prayer. And don't underestimate the enemy and his tactics to try to keep you in a prayerless life. We've got to be people who fight and persist in prayer. And that's what Jesus says. He says, ask, seek, and knock. And when he says it, uh, the tense in which he makes this statement is a continual tense. In fact, the Amplified says it like this, Matthew 7, 7. Keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, who keeps on asking receives and he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. The idea here is persistence, persistence. 
So let me, let me talk to you about these three things. First of all, we're told to ask. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Prayer, understand this about prayer. Prayer is a declaration of dependency. When you are praying, you are asking and you're declaring, I need help. I can't do this on my own. Like anytime you ask something, no matter what it is, in the moment of asking, you're saying, I need someone else's help. Like if I'm sitting at the table with you eating some food and I say, hey, would you pass me the salt? What am I doing? I'm saying in that moment, I can't get to that. Would you hand it to me? This is what prayer is. Prayer is asking it, but it's not just asking God to give us stuff. It's asking God to show up in our life. That's what prayer is. We're asking God. In fact, when we, when we pray, here's what we're doing. We're establishing withness with God, not witness with the, the witness with God. Because remember, we're practicing the way of Jesus, right? It's important you understand it's impossible for you to do a work for Jesus without being connected to Jesus. It's impossible to do life for Jesus without doing life with Jesus. And yet so often that's what we try to do. So prayer says, God, I need you. I'm inviting you in. In fact, let me say it like this. When we pray, what we're doing is we're calling on the name of the Lord. That's what prayer is. There's this uh, idea in, in, in studying scripture you may have heard this before. It's called the law of first mention or the principle of first mention. And, and what it says is this. The law of first mention means uh, to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must find the first place in Scripture that word or doctrine is revealed and we study that passage. So we go back and we look at, okay, where was the first time this ever took place? Why? Because a lot of times the way it was started is the way God wants it to be established, the way he wants it to be continued. And so where is the first prayer in Scripture? Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 4, starting verse 25. I'll read it to you, and then I'll explain what's going on here. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed, says Adam. And, so, and, and as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Now here is the first prayer recorded in scripture. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. So what exactly is going on here? Well, let me explain it to you. And in, 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 in order for you to understand it, what's going on in Genesis 4, you got to go back to Genesis 3. What takes place in Genesis 3? The fall of man. This is where Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the garden, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sin. God told them not to do it. They do it. They disobey God. And because of that, sin enters into the world. A curse is on the world now. And it's interesting because as God is kind of pronouncing this curse and letting them know what has taken place, he makes a statement to Eve and to Satan. He says, there's one coming of your line that is going to crush the head of this serpent. This is the first time in scripture we see this idea of the Messiah is going to come. There's one coming from the family of Adam and Eve, one coming of man who's going to be born of man that's going to make a difference, that's going to crush and change and fix this problem. And so he says this, and Adam and Eve understand they don't know when this is going to take place. So they're thinking, okay, we're going to have a baby, and that baby's going to be the savior of the world, the promised child. And so they have two babies, Cain and Abel. And how many of you know? They weren't the savior of the world. <laughs> Things didn't get better because Cain and Abel were born. Things got worse. In fact, it's, it's through them that we see the first murder taking place. So the world's not getting any better. Man-made system is not fixing it right now. 
So what happens? They have another child. They name him Seth. And he comes onto the picture, and once again, nothing changes. The world's continuing to go downhill. Things are getting worse. And so then Seth has a child. They name him Enosh. And it's after this that the Bible says they begin to call on the name of the Lord. Here's what happens. They recognize that us just having babies ain't fixing the problem. We need to invite this Messiah to show up. We need to invite this promised one to come. And so they call on the name of the Lord and they remind God of his promise. You said one would come. Now let me, let me see if this rings a bell. They're living in a broken world. There's a mess all around them. And what's the call of prayer? First mention of prayer is that we're to remind ourselves of the promise of God. Where do you find the promise of God? You find it in scripture. This is why it's important that you know what the Bible says so that you can pray in agreement with the word and so you can remind God of the promises he's declared in the word. You remind God of what he said and we call on the name of the Lord. We call on the Messiah, Jesus, who's already made a way to show up in the middle of our situation. This is what prayer looks like. It's witness with the Messiah. It's inviting God to move, calling on the name of the Lord, reminding God of his promises and inviting the Messiah to move in our life, in the darkness, in the brokenness of the world that we find ourselves in. Revelation 3.20, this is good news for you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So here's the promise. If you ask Jesus to come, he shows up. If you invite him in, he'll come. But you have to ask him to show up. You have to be a person who's willing to say, Messiah, I need you. I need you to come and to show up and to move in this situation I find myself in. Move in the world that we find ourselves in. God, would you show up? We ask. And listen, when I talk about asking, we're not just asking God to give us our stuff. We're asking God to show up with us. Because it's through this intimacy that we have with God that we can really bring influence into the world. Intimacy equals influence. Intimacy with God is going to equal the influence we need to, to move. So we ask and we keep asking. Ask God to move. Ask God to be faithful to his promises. Ask God to not judge the just with the unjust. Ask God to keep moving and keep making a way for his people and to open up doors and to drive out darkness. And we do that by asking and we keep asking. Here's number two, seek. Somebody say seek. seek. Now, let me say this. When I talk about seek here, I'm not talking about uh, that we're, we're seeking like God is hiding from you. Because <laughs> God ain't hiding for you. God wants to be known by you. We just read, if, you, if he's, he's saying, hey, I'm knocking, would you let me in? The moment that you begin to seek God, he is found and found quickly. He wants to be found by you. But, but there are things related to the kingdom work that God wants to do in your life and through your life that sometimes takes some seeking to walk in. For example, I got called into ministry at 17. I got called to pastor at 23. But there was a seeking process for me to step into walking in the fullness of that calling. I had to continue to seek after God. God didn't just say, you're called to pastor and here's your church because I wasn't ready for it. There was a seeking and a process and a growing that took place with me where I was seeking to be a pastor, but, I, but, but God was, was not giving me that thing right away until I was ready for it. Are you tracking with me? This is important. I remember when my kids were little, we used to play hide and go seek with them from time to time, especially when they were real little. Uh, you know, it's Tuesday night, 
kids are a little wired. You got to figure out something to do. Hide and go seek. Count to 10, find dad. Okay. So I would, I'd go hide somewhere and I discovered something about my kids, especially when they were little. Um, they were terrible at hide and go seek. Like terrible, terrible. Like in order for them to find me, I had to hide in the most obvious places, like under a coffee table, completely out in the open. And yet they'd still just wander past. You know how kids, when they're little, they walk around like there's a string attached to their belly button, you know, kind of like this. They just walk right past you and you're like, okay. Or you're hiding behind a curtain and I've got like a leg out and an arm out behind the curtain. And they're walking through and I'm going, um, and they still just blow through the room. And so then Sarah would have to be like, hey, maybe dad's in, in here and this, there he might be, maybe. But here's the thing, when I was hiding from them, I wasn't hiding in such a way that they would never find me. I was hiding from them, yes, but really I was hiding for them. I was hiding where they would find me if they would seek me out. Like if I really wanted to hide from them, I'd just say, okay, count to 10, go jump in my car and drive to Mexico, and they would never find me. <laughs> Still be looking for daddy. But I didn't do that because I wanted to be found. And there's something too related to some of the things that God wants to do in your life. Now, again, I'm not talking about God himself, but some of the things he wants to do in your life, there's a seeking to find some of those things that's important to the call of our life. Look at this with me. This is Proverbs 25 two. It says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Notice he doesn't say to conceal himself, to conceal a matter, some of the stuff he wants to do. But the glory of kings, and by the way, Revelations 1.6 says, you are priests and kings. The glory of kings is to search out that matter. So there are certain things that God has that are hidden, but they're not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. They're hidden. And if you'll just be willing to seek them, you're going to find them if you'll be willing to seek. Now you say, Pastor Josh, why is God hiding anything? Like, what's up with that? What's the point of hiding stuff? Well, there, there's reasons for hiding stuff. There's reasons for him keeping some stuff from you right now. One of the reasons may be you can't handle it right now. You can't handle what he has for you. Like, you know, a car is a good thing. Transportation, way to get somewhere very quickly, that's nice. But you put the, the keys to a car into the, you know, the hand of someone who's not prepared for that, it's not a good thing. Like if I give my car keys to my eight-year-old daughter, it's a bad thing. And what's gonna happen is she's probably gonna, gonna hurt herself and probably hurt others. And for some of you, like there's a, there's a process God has you in right now where he's working some things out of you. He's working some things into you and he's helping to mature you and grow you. And he knows if he was to just give you the thing, listen, I'm so glad God didn't give me New Song Church at 23. I would have burned this sucker to the ground. I was not ready. But, but God allowed me to mature and grow. And when the time was right, he was able to put it into my hands. So maybe you're not ready for it, but, but that doesn't mean you don't keep seeking. See, was, as I was waiting, I continued to seek. I continued to ask God. And, and wherever God put me, I treated wherever I was like I was pastoring a church. And when the time was right, it was revealed. And I knew where, and I knew when, and I knew the name of the church, everything, when, it, when the time was right. So maybe it's just not the right timing right now. You just can't handle it right now. But keep, keep seeking for the thing you feel like God is saying to you. Maybe the reason God is hiding that thing for you right now is because he's also hiding it from the enemy. And there's a devil who wants to resist you. 
And he wants to contend with you for everything God wants to do in your life. And there's some battles God doesn't want you to have to fight. Because here's the reality. It's easier for you to ask God in prayer, to go to God in prayer and ask of a God who's for you to reveal what's hidden than it is to contend for everything God has for you with an enemy who hates you and wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. You tracking with me? So there may be certain things that God is hidden They're hidden for you, but they're hidden from the enemy. And if you'll just seek, God will reveal it to you and you don't have to fight so hard to get into it. But but God has some stuff that if you'll seek, you'll find it. And, And here's where we seek. Here's where seeking starts. We seek in the word. And the word's amazing because the word of God is, it's not like, I've heard people say the word is like a map. And it is in a sense, but it's more than a map. It's not just a map to the treasure. It's the treasure itself. And when you get into it and you begin to dig into it and seek in it, then the Holy Spirit, the helper, can come alongside you and he can begin to show you what to look for, to show you what certain things mean. You've been reading a scripture before and you maybe read it a thousand times, but all of a sudden, when you're reading it this time, you see something in it. Why? Because it was time for it to be revealed. And it was in the seeking that you found it. And God was able to reveal it to you in the season that you find yourself in. So this is why we seek and we keep seeking. We keep reading. We keep studying. We keep praying because we never know the moment when God's ready to reveal the the promise that he wants you to walk in. Am I helping you this morning? Here's number three. We're to knock. Somebody say knock. knock. Matthew 7, 7, once again, knock and it will be opened to you. I remember, again, going back to when my kids were little. You know, it's interesting being a parent. You're a parent, you know this. You have these children. You, you birth them into the world. Women do. I, us men, we play a very small part in that. But then they're in the world and we begin to build this kind of life for them. We provide and give them food and shelter. And you give them more than just food and shelter. You give them clothes and you give them good stuff, toys, and what do they do? They just desire with everything in them to get away from all that. <laughs> to escape. It's like a prison break in our house when our kids were little. You leave a door open and they cannot wait to get out from the tyranny of this loving family. <laughs> you may relate to this. I remember when our kids were little, like if we didn't lock every door, they were going to get out and run away. Like it's like Shawshank Redemption. So, so we got in this habit when we had our little kids of like locking doors behind us. Like we were good about it. Sarah was vigilant about this. And because of that, from time to time, I would get locked out of the house. So like I'm outside, you know, kids are out there, we're grilling. And then everybody goes in except dad who's finishing up grilling. And I, I get all the food and I'm walking in the house. And I get to the door and the door is locked. And so what do I do? I begin to knock on the door. Now, when I would knock on the door my posture in knocking was different than say going over to my neighbor's house and knocking and asking for an egg. I knocked aggressively. And here's why, because there's stuff on the other side of that door that belongs to me. There's a couch inside that house. There's air conditioning inside that house. There's a bed inside that house. There's food inside that house. This stuff all belongs to me. It's rightfully mine. I also know that there's someone on the other side of that door who loves me 
that is willing to open that door and let me into those things. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus made a way for you. And there are things that have been purchased by the shed blood of Jesus that rightfully belong to you right now. They belong to you. Some of them are just on the other side of a door that you've got to start knocking on. But here's the good news. When you knock on that door, there's someone who loves you, who's willing to open up that door if you'll just be willing to knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and it will be opened to you. I was studying this years ago. I'm kind of meditating on this section of scripture. When I say meditating, I'm not talking about, you know, sitting with your legs crossed and humming. I'm talking about like biblical meditation where you, you look at a verse and you keep going over that verse over and over again. I was kind of doing that with this. And as I was doing it, the Holy Spirit said something to me. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit because when God speaks to you, sometimes there's this moment where he'll say something and he can say in a sentence what takes you like 30 minutes to explain. It was one of those moments. And so I'm thinking about this idea of asking, seeking, knocking. And the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, Josh, it's child's play. And as soon as he said that, I was like, whoa. Here's what you're saying about prayer. These things that God's inviting us to do, asking, seeking, knocking, this is stuff that any child of God can do. And it's not hard. So think about this, asking. You know, any child can ask. They can ask before they even know how to talk. How do they do it? I remember when my, when my babies were born in the hospital, they were asking for some food. They were crying and asking for some food, right? And then they got a little bit bigger and they still couldn't talk, but what'd they do? They'd point at stuff, grunt. And what would happen is, is this person who loves them and is for them would respond to their asking. Asking is child's play, my friends. Seeking is child's play. I remember when, uh, when we were pregnant, my wife, I say we, Sarah was pregnant <laughs> with our son, Gus, as our first baby, you know, and if you're a first time parent, like you're a little, you're a little hyper. And so we were a little hyper, like having a baby, you know, and I remember Sarah came to me one day, big and pregnant. She said, I want to go to this breastfeeding class. And I was like, cool, go right ahead. She's like, no, you're coming with me okay. So I went, people, I went to a breastfeeding class and it was wild. (laughs) But I, I, and I don't remember much. I've tried to block out a lot of it. A lot of, a lot of freedom ministry to get through that. But there's one thing, there's one thing I remember. They talked about this thing called a breast crawl. And they talked about how you take a brand new baby and you place it on its mother right after it's been born and it will begin to start working its way up to its mom so that it can latch on and get the milk or the, is it colostrum? Is that right? Am I saying that right? She doesn't know. I knew that. Hey, look for me. Breastfeeding class. My certificate's up on the wall in my office. JK. All right. But the point is this, that newborn infant baby has the ability to seek because seeking is child's play. And then knocking, you know, knocking is not hard. Like this is not something that takes a whole lot of lessons to figure out. 
Uh, I remember when our daughter Bo was little, we were moving her out of her crib and into her big girl bed. And if you know Bo, like she was always, she's wild. Like she was the one, she was the one we had to really be careful of because she would escape. And, and she was starting to escape out of her crib. And the way she would do this is she would basically fall out of it under her head. And we're like viewing this on the mo baby monitor going, I think it's time for her to have a big girl bed. And so we got her her big girl bed, but now she's got a big girl bed. She has the ability to get up and move around. And so she does. And so we realized we got to lock this little sucker down. So we got this little plastic thing that would go on her doorknob and she'd go to her doorknob and she couldn't open her door anymore. It would just kind of spin. And so she, she eventually figured out uh, what to do. And every morning between like 6.30 and 7 a.m., because babies, how many of you know, they got to wake up early. We'd be in our room and on the little baby monitor, we would hear this little, and she'd knock on the door. Why? Because she knew there's stuff on the other side of that door. It belongs to me because I'm a child of some people that this stuff belongs to. So she's knocking and she knows there are people who love her that are going to come open that door. Here's what I want you to see. It's child's play. Like the part God is inviting us to do in prayer, it's not something we can't do. It's stuff that any child of God can do. But listen, listen, don't, est don't underestimate the power of it and don't underestimate the importance of it because it is vitally important. When God created this world in Genesis 1:26, he creates mankind and he says, I'm gonna give them dominion. Dominion means they had the power to, to dominate, subjugate. They had authority. They'd been given authority to rule and reign in this earth. And God himself was submitted to the way he established it, his word. He was submitted to the authority he had placed in the hands of man. In order to work in this world, he needed permission of man. You say, whoa, Pastor Josh, I don't know that that's theologically sound. No, God can't God just do whatever he wants to do? Isn't he sovereign and he can just kind of have his, his way? Well, well, yes, God can do whatever he wants to do, but understand this, God doesn't want to undermine his word. He doesn't want to do that. Could he do it? Yes, but he doesn't want to. The Bible tells us this in Psalms 138:2. You have exalted above all else your name and your word. Now look at this. And you have magnified your word above your name. So that means because God established man with authority, God had to operate through man's authority. And this is why even when man messed it up, you see how committed God is to this because even when man messed it up, because remember, sin enters the, into the world and what happens? This authority that man had was handed over to the devil. And you would think that maybe, you know, God, if he just wanted to, because he wants that authority, he might just go, well, if you're not going to take care of it, give me that. But he doesn't do that. He wants it back. He wants it back in the hands that he wants it in. But in order to get it back, he has to go through the means by which he established. So what does that mean? That means he needs a man. So what does he do? He sends his son into this world, fully God and fully man to come into this world, to die on the cross so that he can win back the authority that was lost. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Remember that? And then later on he says, I give it unto you. So he gets the authority, wins it back, and then what does he do? He hands it right back over to man. And so here's what this means. In order for God to work, he has to work through humans. He needs participation from people. And so get this, prayer gives God earthly license 
for heavenly interference. Prayer gives God permission to come, up, to come into this world and move and do what it is he wants to do. But he needs us to be the people who take up this mantle and walk in the authority that he's placed in our hands and utilize this gift, this powerful gift of prayer to make a difference and impact this world for his kingdom. In order for God to move, he needs to hear his people pray because God will not intervene until his people intercede. So, so we pray. We pray because we want kingdom come. We pray because we want to drive out the darkness. And we pray. We pray for our marriage. Yes, we pray for our marriage. We pray for our kids. Yes, we pray for our city. Yes, we pray for our state. Yes, and we pray and we keep praying. We pray for these things. It, 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 but, but beyond that, we pray and we invite God in. We call on the name of the Lord. We invite God in because a praying church is a powerful, powerful thing. A praying person is a powerful, powerful person who can be used by God to do great and mighty things. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, Go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.